0: Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. His name is Michael Cardinal, and he is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Therapex. In this episode, we talk about how they validate health tech apps, how tech can bring us together, what led him to create this company, and why we should never forget about the patient security when creating our solutions. It's a jam-packed episode. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Hey, Michael, how are you doing?
1: very good and you had a wonderful day what about yours i'm doing great
0: man i'm really excited to talk to you and jump into uh, what you do but uh, for people that don't know who you are uh, could you give us a little background about you and the company that you're
1: building yeah of course and thank you zane for having me it's really a unique opportunity so uh yeah I'm michael cardinal i'm a pharmacist by training um I'd say that early in my pharmacist career, I kind of became consumed by uh, trying to rebuild pharmacy. I was kind of a typical student in pharmacy that didn't, well, I did pass my exams and I didn't learn a lot of stuff about drugs. But I was really interested around uh, the complexity of healthcare and how we can do uh, kind of rebuild a strategic plan around pharmacy. So I became consumed by using technology uh, uh, in practice and consumed by this idea of trying to be closer to the patient with technology. Uh, which kind of a paradoxal statement sometimes. So I decided to uh, essentially learn about entrepreneurship and innovation around my pharmacist uh, journey, and this is what led me to my actual role today as a chief operating officer and co-founder of uh, Therapex and App Guide.
0: That's amazing. Uh, Especially coming from a pharmacist, it's great to see pharmacists kind of, quote unquote, go off the beaten path. But uh, would you mind going into a little bit of what your Therapex is doing and why you built it?
1: Yeah, of course. So I said that I became consumed about using technology. Uh, At first, for me, it was really using apps with my patients. I felt like digital health had that kind of uh, potential to drive more patient outcomes, uh, address care equity, acceptab- accessibility as well. So I felt like, for example, using diabetes monitoring apps really helped me as a pharmacist and really helped my patients as well, self-manage. Uh, but I even learned that my practice was maybe uh, something that would be even more, uh, you know, uh, good if it was integrated in more guidance. What I mean by this is that uh, I've learned and I've met a digital health advisor that said to me that there were 310,000 health apps on the market. It was kind of a risky thing of using apps without knowing about their quality. And this led to actually us trying to think about how can we make sure that we integrate digital health in pharmacy, but also in other spaces of healthcare in a very curated way. So this led to us building a health technology assessment framework. Kind of the things we have for drugs, right, when we want to evaluate drugs and we want to make sure that we bring them once against each other and make sure that we know which drugs can be reimbursed by a payer system or not. So thinking about health apps and software becoming new care modalities. Coming from a healthcare background, it made no sense that patients just went on the app stores and downloaded a bunch of apps that weren't necessarily clinically relevant. So we tried to fix that problem first. So trying to find ways to make sure that patients can access to better care, better health apps, and seeing the digital therapeutics industry being organized, trying to see how does that fit into traditional healthcare and how can we distribute these tools is really what we've uh, what we've thought about. So I've mentioned that Therapix does reviews of apps, which is the first thing. But we also uh, help health systems, employers, or even insurance payers uh, decide which apps to distribute, and we also help them distribute these recommendations to patients in our proprietary uh, marketplace, which is called App Guide.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's... I, I remember us speaking a couple of years ago, and when you presented me the idea, I was like blown away because... Uh, you're absolutely right. One of the problems, I mean, you can't just be like, as a, as a consumer, which, you know, a consumer can be patient or the provider. There's just such an abundance of apps and technology out there. And it's really hard to decipher which one is good, which one isn't. And, you know, that's where when you, we were talking, you were like, you know, we're helping people decide that. And that's such a, I mean, it's, it's such a simple thing, but it's so, I mean, everything in our life is, um, you know, driven by reviews, how, how many stars it's getting. And it just was baffling to me that it didn't really exist in healthcare, and that's why, you know, what you guys are building is so amazing.
1: Well, thank you, Zane. And I think that's really a good statement that you mentioned about the complexity and also breadth of the offering. So many apps out there is is what we hear when we meet first clients. Right? They always say, "How can I make sure to identify which ones are good?" and from our own standpoint, from our own statistics, we found out that only 4% of apps are clinically relevant or even potentially clinically relevant. Um, only a small percentage of that 4% is really, uh, uh, you know, relevant for certain patient journeys or certain use cases in healthcare. So that's even, uh, uh, you know, more challenging to see and, and to know that there are a lot of crap out there. Sorry to use that word. Uh, but but that's, that's the thing, right? So. I think healthcare decision makers want to have more informed decisions, more evidence-based decisions. And I think that's kind of a a thing that's more and more accepted, uh, even in the corporate, private world, like employers as well. I mean, I think people are more and more educated. People learn about the, the healthcare products they use. They try to go in deep into uh, you know what's the potential value, and they don't want to lose their time using just like three or four different tools and not knowing which ones will end up uh, delivering good outcomes for them. So, I totally agree. It's kind of a a problem that any healthcare decision makers face, uh, and and by healthcare decision makers, I include patients as well, because uh, I I feel like uh, they they play a big role uh, in in their healthcare decision, right? So, I feel like any decision makers uh, have that problem. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I completely agree
0: with what you say, and the four percent statistic is wild to me. That is insane. But would you guys, would you walk us through kind of how you guys validate an app or how you guys um kind of bring it onto your platform and what makes you guys recommend one over the other?
1: Yeah, of course, makes total sense that we're going to do that. So. We use kind of uh, the the principles that we have in the health technology assessments in the pharmaceutical industry, so looking at clinical trials, looking at evidence, but also looking at other parts of the story, like is the health app made by uh, and with clinicians? Was the health app made with patients as well? Did they do uh, a study? Uh, Are they collecting data on their efficacy? A bunch of criteria that we collect as part of our uh, proprietary assessment and our guidance. Um, and we focus on four areas, so clinical robustness, security, privacy, and simplicity. Because there is a challenge that we don't have with pharmaceutical drugs in the digital health world. Um, Well, many challenges. First is that these tools update. Uh, It's not like uh, a drug that come out in the market and there's that pharmacy and therapeutics committee. So for the ones that are not familiar with that space, insurance plans have a committee that says, hey, this drug is good or not, this drug should be covered or not. But in the case of digital health apps and digital therapeutics, they evolve. So this is a very complex problem because we need to find ways to reassess them, which we figured out over time. We've looked at updates and language that LTAP manufacturers use uh, in their updates to see if they should be reassessed or not. This kind of a secret recipe that we've built internally to build that challenge, but it, there's also a lot of positive around that uh, because as they can evolve, these apps can, you know, be um, compliant to a certain kind of standards or a certain kind of criteria uh, uh, really rapidly. Let me give you a story. Um, We had a client uh, that we vetted health apps or kind of say like an app collection uh, for hypertension and chronic disease management in hypertension. It was a pharmacy chain, actually. Um, We targeted two US-based clients that were as part of our database as we track all the vendors out there. And we said, hey, these two are the best, but they don't follow the Canadian guidelines. And we've called them and we said, hey, you, should be re- you could be recommended by this pharmacy chain if you change X, Y, Z. And they changed it in 48 hours. And they became recommended. So this is crazy good out, this uh, opportunity of digital health evolving towards the healthcare needs uh, um, and that agility that digital health has. Uh, that I'm very passionate about and that I think will bring value to the healthcare system. But going back to your question, it's really a question of us filtering the market by tracking it continuously, tracking the updates. And then we have um, an algorithm, humans, and clinicians that will assess specific criteria based on their expertise. And each of them add up into a complete review which we called the Therapix Review Guidance, which guides healthcare provider, patients, and health systems, healthcare organization in general, into what apps are good or not.
0: That's uh, amazing, and that's a great story. And I think, I, I'll, I, to your point, you know, that's the one thing I love about technology is that it is way more agile, and it can be fixed over, you know, in forty-eight hours. That's kind of that's crazy. Um, so let's say I'm a provider or a patient. Uh, let, let's go with the provider side and they want to use your services, um, how do they go about it? And then also, if you could touch on, you guys also have like a search feature, right? Kind of like, not an app store, but kind of where they can kind of look up uh, what it is outside of you guys guiding them. I don't know if that makes sense or not.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. So um, App Guide is online and it's free for healthcare providers to use. We even have a prescription tool or a sharing module, I'd say, uh, that healthcare providers in general and any healthcare provider can use. We decided to make it free because we really want to democratize our model. We feel like the role of healthcare providers in the patient journey using health apps is really to provide guidance and additional guidance on what tools bring value or not. And we feel like sometimes, even though our grading systems in App were made to be used by patients with low literacy, we feel like healthcare providers can be sometimes of good advice interpreting that criteria set that we've published online. So it's really us democratizing our model that was really important. We used to charge for healthcare providers or, uh, uh, to use our system uh, in, in the past when it was called uh, Terapix Core, which is a pilot product that we've uh, gone through research. But we don't want to do that anymore because we figured out that The ones at the end of the day that want the patients to use apps and that want the healthcare providers to use apps are the ones that will pay for our services and our platforms. Meaning that not only a healthcare provider can get guidance on specific apps in AppGuide and they can find apps by themselves and recommend apps freely, we also offer them to call their health system or call their healthcare organization to work with us in building smaller libraries inside of App Guide that they will be able to access for more curated information. So essentially recommendations on which apps to use as part of the specific setting of that healthcare provider. So let's say your are a pharmacist in CDS, Well, they have the digital health formulary, so they have a list of vendors that they recommend. They could also evolve their list with other vendors. And this is content we can post on App Guide so that the CVS pharmacists find it really easily on end and can there sh- share apps to their patients to improve the workflow integrations of these apps.
0: That's amazing. Um, especially for like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, you know, smaller. I mean, I mean, you're kind of doing a lot of the work where like internal people have if they don't have like a, you know, a digital health officer or things like that, you know, you're kind of supplementing that them not having that and kind of doing some of that legwork for them that's uh that's amazing you know coming from a hospital system where in america there's not a lot of hospital systems that have that and they they're kind of stuck in this analysis paralysis they have so much and so like you know people like you out there that can kind of look at you know what they need what they don't need and kind of looking at the system that they already have and curating stuff that will work perfectly for them is i mean for me that would be invaluable
1: well, thank you, Zane. I think you're a firm believer of our model. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I appreciate your comment. And I think it's really us uh, over the years. Uh, it's been five years, man. Things go so fast <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur. Uh, it, it's been actually uh, close to five years that we're building this. and The problem is so vast and the or, the industry is so in infancy that there are so many problems to solve. And we've kind of had that lifelong learner attitude shout out to our employees and shout out to our collaborators. They're all lifelong learners. It's kind of like the personality trait that over time we found out that everybody had. Um, We all want to build, uh, you know, products that tackle and solve these big challenges of integrating healthcare uh, um, recommendations on apps and evidence-based decisions on the use of healthcare apps. So kind of that kind of mindset of trying to always fix the new problem. So we have a new client that comes in, he say, Hey, your offering is good, but I missed this. And then we tried to challenge it and, and try to, to help them achieve their needs is what has brought us towards where we're at. Um, you know, we all know it's not perfect yet. There are a lot of challenges around the health apps use. I'm sure you can name some uh, from your own experience, but uh, yeah, we feel like uh, we are at a good spot right now um, to, to have a good offering that can be uh, uh, quite useful, yeah, for a healthcare organization, health healthcare providers and patients. At the end of the day,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, do you, yeah, I mean completely agree with you there? Um, do you guys ever work with um, like if I'm if I have a if I'm a health tech startup? Do you guys work with them to kind of help them navigate like you know the legal waters or help them kind of like I don't know how to explain it? Like you you mentioned the the app that you called and they changed it in 48 hours, but is there a way for health tech? companies to come to you and you guys can help them kind of get implemented or give them suggestions on how they could, uh, be how, how, what would help them get implemented faster?
1: Yeah, of course. So this is something that we do new, uh, it's a new thing. Uh, we used to kind of, uh, wanted to keep that impartial, uh, impartiality, but also independence, right? So we, we, uh, used to have that mindset of us not necessarily collaborating and receiving money from, um, from uh, Health Apps developers, but it kind of changed over time as we found out it was natural in the pharmaceutical industry as well to uh, do a feedback loop on product improvement, as I call it. Essentially, what you've referred to as us giving advice on how to reach better quality uh, more rapidly so to save time and money. I mean, we've seen use cases recently in Health app developers that we've helped. They uh, sometimes come not from healthcare, and even if they come from healthcare, there are so many things to think about in healthcare for them. It's really, really complex. Um, I, I'm, we're, we're a company that evaluates them, so it's always hard for me to have that really empathetic uh, you know, uh, discussion or, 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 or line of words around these uh, products. But I mean, at the end of the day, there are so many challenges. What do I do about FDA clearances? What do I do about reimbursement? What's my reimbursement strategy? At the end of the day, these tools are not all from researchers that are nonprofit. There are a lot of, and mostly private company that needs to make money at the end of the day. So there are a lot of things to think about and sometimes so little money to to try and reach all these different regulatory hurdles. And yeah, we, we've decided to kind of switch our mindset and say, A, hey, we need to h- further help the ecosystem. Kind of also us seeing that the healthcare industry demand more and more better products was also a thing that made us kind of change our, 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 um, our view on that because we've seen that healthcare um, our healthcare clients uh, you know, always said a. Hey, uh, I think you, you should you should be also helping the health app manufacturers improve their products as as this industry scales. So it's it's really these two considerations that has made us think that yeah yeah we should we should go that route and and find ways to uh, to to help health app manufacturers. So what we do for them now is we build what we call the therapeutics review guidance reports essentially, they come to us, uh, we assign them to a health app analyst in house that will review their guidance. So essentially, the criteria that we've evaluated with them to provide guidance on what should be prioritized. And even we can do this based on the competition. So like we look at other apps that are in the same field to say, hey, these ones are of better quality. So if you want to reach that toolbox, that library from this client, uh, you should maybe think about adding this, this, this in, in your roadmap and your product strategy. And this has been um, guidance that has been really helpful for health app developers so far, and they really like the the service.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I was in health tech, I would definitely reach out to somebody like you because, you know, you, you know the customer, right? And that's half the battle with, I think, health tech in general is getting into customers and finding customers. And, you know, you guys already have this... Backend knowledge of what the customers need, what they are looking for. And honestly, if I'm building a health tech app, it would be dumb for me to not approach people like you.
1: Well, thank you. And I think that uh, the advantage also is that we, we're not into a business model of, of, you know, taking a cut out of revenues to recommend. So it's really, uh, it's really a natural fit of us working with the health app developers. We're, it's not where we make our money. So it's really like most of our money. So it's really us helping the industry and trying to to have that in our toolbox of services. So I I, I would agree with you. Uh, And I think for the most part, what's really essential for me and as a company, and when we talk about this internally, it's really, really important for us to bring higher standards, but also be considerate of the fact that not all health apps can reach these standards. So we have also a vision that is not most organizations of our type have in the fact that we don't necessarily only include uh, products, and if you're familiar with that landscape, you will hear the digital therapeutics term. We not only include digital therapeutics in our recommendations, um, as we feel like other products can be clinically valid in certain area. Uh, we usually do this when we uh, analyze the client needs, and by client I mean the health systems or the health organization, to really try and find the perfect products out there and the most safe, secure for patients to use. Um, but it's not an accreditation; it, it's not a pass or fail. It's not a if you're not X, Y, Z certified, you cannot be recommended. It's it's all based on the client. It's all based on what's the setting, what's the purpose of recommending health apps, because different contexts have different risks. So we like to say we adapt to each of our clients.
0: Yeah, I mean, anyone that's ever worked in healthcare, um, healthcare is very nuanced, and not everyone needs everything all the time. And sometimes you have very specific use cases. And so I can, de- I, I mean, I, to me, that makes sense, right? Uh, for somebody who's worked in healthcare their whole life. But um, I did want to touch on uh, the patient side as well. So, as a patient, you said that we can go on and look up. So, how is the patient side work for you guys? Like, what? How do you see? How historically have the patients been using uh, your services?
1: Oh, this is this is the most fun question because it's where we feel like we have the most impact. So, essentially, two settings. Um, well, App Guide is essentially a, a library of content on health apps. Some content come from Therapix, so the review guidance reports that we have built for patients can be used by them really as a go-to resource to go beyond user rating. So let's say you want to download an app, or you already use an app, you want to know if it's safe, clinically robust, simple, simple, and you know you want to make sure to make the better decision. You go on App Guide as a resource for you to take your decision beyond user ratings on app store If we have the opportunity to talk about that topic, I could explain how flawed they are. But it's not a purpose right now, so essentially they, they find our guidance reports uh, and therapeutics Review Guidance Reports as uh, another decision support for them. This is totally free, accessible on appguide.ca. Then if a healthcare organization wants to distribute app, what we use and found is that our reports generate more trust and adoption of apps that are of high quality. So let's say you have a toolbox of apps that was curated by Therapix, which is composed of vendors that have like letter-graded scores of A, B, A, A, for example. Uh, We've seen that patients download these apps on a 38% uh, basis, so 38% of patients that are exposed to the AppGuide platform um, when it's curated. So by curated, I mean that we built a mini-website on top of AppGuide that's between the app guide marketplace and the health systems or the employer websites and documentations. Essentially, the organization will send their patients towards a platform that has only the apps that should be recommended for them in their particular setting. And then they can also see the reviews and the guidance that we provide to them. So two cases, either the patient will have their their own organization contract with us into a distribution strategy uh, that we uh, then build on top of App Guide. This can be a, for example, a a bespoke app library, so an App Guide, but with the, you know, logos of this particular uh, health organization, or they can just go on App Guide and find guidance on fourteen thousand apps on the marketplace. Yeah, that's. Um...
0: That's very interesting.
1: Um, So uh, I kind of want to pivot
0: into what you kind of talked about. You said that you like technology because it brings us together, brings you closer to the patient, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of a statement that kind of is an oxymoron kind of, but do you mind kind of telling me why you think that way?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, Many experiences with technology in which I've seen the ability of, and Let's bring back to the context, right, of me being a young pharmacist, a little idealist at the time, uh, trying to figure out ways to uh, build more pharmacy services. I was obsessed by the idea of switching pharmacists from a distributor towards a clinical care and kind of like almost a care coordinator service uh, um, professional And in Quebec, we have the wonderful opportunity to have a expanded scope of practice, uh, which means that we have essentially more um, powers or things we can do uh, for our patients, which is amazing. For example, this includes chronic disease management services. And the thing is that we're we're not operational, we're not functioning in a way that can help us embrace these services really rapidly and scale these services. Essentially, the reimbursement for these services is not sustainable if we don't do it in a go big or go home approach. And I say all this to think about, I was trying to build these services as part of pharmacies I was working at, and I tried to use apps to see if it could kind of like switch certain tasks that I add in my follow-up journey in that chronic disease service to the patient. And that means for me, that meant monitoring. And so essentially self-monitoring by patients as became a way for them to take more part of their care journey and be more empowered. And then I've seen patients come back to me and say, hey, that app that you've recommended me. I use it now to get nutritional advice that's curated based on my own blood glucose, and I love it. I've actually uh, bought the subscription plan. Thank you so much for the recommendation. Oh, and by the way, here's the report on my diabetes situation. Do you think you could use that as part of our follow-ups? I was <laughs> like, eh, let's go. This is exactly why I wanted you to use that product. So kind of that success story of, you know, more, more empowered patients coming back to me with uh, these tools that I was recommending them uh, and having that potential to do really uh, scalable services was really where I, I, I fall in, and felt in love with the fact of using technology to, to get closer to our patients.
0: I love that. Um- I think that I mean I I'm, I'm in a similar boat as you as well. I think technology can bring us together if used properly. And the use case that you just said is the perfect use case. And I also think that, you know, you touched on something really important is empowering and having the patients own their own healthcare. And that's something that just doesn't exist, at least in the American healthcare system. And I think that because we just tell them like, hey, here's a pill, you'll be on this for a long time. And then they just kind of forget about it. They're like, okay, this pill will help me. But I I found even in my own family where when they're getting data and they're seeing like, you know, how this food affects their blood glucose spice or how, you know, when in the day is their blood pressure increasing, they become more cognizant of it. And then they, they're like, okay, what led to that? And then they can, then it empowers them to kind of fix their own healthcare because they own it. Right. It's kind of like renting a house versus buying a house. When you rent a house, you're you can call somebody to fix it. But when you own the house, you're the one that's responsible to fix it. And you have more uh, ownership of not ownership. Obviously, you own it. But, you know, you you care more about it and you have a more personal connection. And it's just weird to say that healthcare is has become depersonalized for the for the for the patient.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a feasibility consideration. Like we, at the end of the day, if, if we don't use technology properly, we can only see just a few patients in our days, right? Um, I think with technology, they have the ability to, to, to monitor by themselves, and then we can use dashboards to see a lot of patients in a day, but not necessarily in a personalized way in that. And by personalized, I mean like a, an actual human call or human you know, appointment, but more a from a data analysis standpoint so to your point i totally agree i mean um data but but good data right not overflow of data and when the right technology gets in the end of the right patient this is where the magic happens right but at the end of the day i think also that patients are at different stages of their healthcare empowerment as you've mentioned um you know, uh, some patients are really equipped, empowered, and engaged in their health decisions. Some are not, right? So uh, I think that healthcare providers play a big role into accompanying patients towards their next stage of empowering. I think, I mean, yeah, I agree with you.
0: The different patients are at different stages, but I think a lot of it has to do, I mean, this is just me personally, a lot of it has to do with the way the system is set up, right? We are told that um, the doctor's right. You know, there's a pill for that, right? Being a pharmacist. I think a lot of people get surprised when I say, you know, in pharmacy school, we're taught to take people off of medications, not put them on medications. But, you know, there's this like, hey, everyone wants a quick solution. There's a pill for that, you know. And then no one really, there's not a lot of good follow-up because, you know, either whatever. But I think that if we start changing that system, We'll have. I mean, obviously, there'll still be patients that don't, uh, that are not going to want to take care of their own healthcare. But I think more, I think people would be surprised as to how many patients would like that power and be told that, hey, you know, there are other ways to solve this. Because right now, it's just like, hey, we'll just give you a statin for the rest of your life. Or here, here's like three blood pressure medications, um, and you're going to be on them. We'll just keep titrating them back and forth, uh, to get your blood pressure under control. I think that. If we can kind of get that change in the healthcare system, not only on the patient side, but also a lot on the provider side,
1: I think we can get there. I totally agree. I totally agree. And and this comes back to the point I was uh, making around the healthcare provider trying to equip the patient towards more activation in, in their stages. And, and by the way, I think this is a role that can come from... Any healthcare, um, it's really agnostic to what stakeholder helps the patient be more activated, committed, and then, you know, towards self-management, which is kind of like a, a higher stage and a saint gral of, of empowering uh, and engagement. But what I mean by this is that I think that payers have a role. Uh, I think that healthcare providers have a role. Their health systems have a role. Um, everybody has a role. I think for more affordable and sustainable care, uh, in bringing patients to be more engaged, and I think that digital technology is is one way to do that. Right. Um, a lot of apps have that really good um, thinking of adapting the recommendations based on the complexity of the care that is required for that patient or their even their what we call digital literacy what i mean by this is exactly this like are they connected to their health and connected doesn't mean necessarily technology but more like empowerment so are you like when did you have your new diagnosis like this app will ask them is it like one week ago or is it 3 years ago um, how frequently do you deal and, and analyze your healthcare data? How frequently do you look on the web on to how to, uh, you know, uh, help your disease state? And based on these questions, they will adapt a care plan. And this care plan will be adapted based on their very particular considerations. So... Thinking about personalization of care and thinking about helping patients go towards more engagement, I think that digital health is really a way to scale that. I don't think that healthcare providers will be capable of helping their patients at scale do that without technology. It's it's just not feasible to think that we'll have every patient see their doctor every week to coach them towards the change of their behaviors. So digital health is really a lot about digital, uh, not a lot about digital, but a lot about behavior change. And this is where I think that technology can help as well.
0: Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, one of the reasons why I love technology is, I one of the reasons why I love technology is, I told people that there's only one of me and I can only see one person at a time. And so like technologies like this, or just tech to digital health in general can help us multiply our, ourselves and help more patients just with the same amount of time that we have. But um, I want to move on to something else. You know, you, with Therapix, you are seeing a lot of healthcare apps. You know, you see it, <laughs> that's your job, literally. Um, what is your take on fragmentation of healthcare? So that one of the things that I'm afraid of is, you know, we have all these great things going on, but there's just, you know, kind of like, you know, there's a pill for that. Now we're kind of switching it to oh there's an app for that we're almost fragmenting the healthcare system a little bit more but um what are your thoughts on fragmentation in general in digital health
1: yeah good point um i'll i 'll say what I believe in and and then i 'll think about the industry considerations which are really essential in that topic uh, I believe in patients that are more empowered, so for me, thinking about digital health, I have that kind of feeling that i i'm very accept like I accept different business models and different ways of patients interacting with these services. Because at the end of the day, it all depends on what we want to achieve with digital health. I feel like when we have these kind of conversations, and it happened to me in the past, if we keep it very high level, we think that digital health just does fragmentation of healthcare. If we go into the details of patient needing XYZ interventions, then we have kind of like more and more nuanced discussion in thinking that, okay... That patient may have a diabetes app coming from their payer system on which the pharmacist is even onboarded, like we see sometimes in digital form Larry. And this is amazing. It does like 85% of the job. There's that 15% that the patient might get on another app as well that they buy on the app store. So at the end of the day, I feel like we sometimes have kind of like a on nuanced discussion and this comes down to commercial considerations, I believe, of uh, the fact that Hey, there's not going to be a perfect app for everyone. Uh, It's impossible to think that as a payer system or a health system, you're going to build an app that's going to have everything. Some health systems go around that and they just plug all the apps available that are created in their health system, which I think is a... Very, very highly valuable uh, thing to do, Um, but at the end of the day, it also comes down to the patient needs and the patient considerations. And I think that we forget a lot of time about the patients. Are kind of like we still have that very old, uh, you know, mentality of you know, healthcare decision makers are you know doctors payers which which is really true and i believe that we still need that kind of help from these um entities in building uh digital health toolboxes and formularies and and bringing more access and coverage to these solutions uh but at the end of the day i think that a patient that downloads another app is not something that uh we should be worried about uh essentially
0: yeah no i mean i mean when you put it that way it does make a lot of sense you know and you know, and as you know, as an entrepreneur in the digital space, if you're trying to build something that, if you're trying to, if you're your patient, uh, if your customer is everyone, you're going to fail. I mean, there's no way you're going to be able to be everything for everyone. So yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the way you, the way you say it, I, I, I agree. There, there's a lot of nuance in healthcare. Like it's, it's funny that we as clinicians and people in healthcare, there say we have a lot of, there's a lot of nuances in healthcare, but. When we are talking about things, we don't really have nuanced discussions.
1: <laughs> You're right. You're totally right. I yeah, yeah, I agree. I've lived that a lot. But uh, think about it. Do you think that we fragment healthcare with digital health? What's your take on it? Um I think that there is
0: a sense of fragmentation. I don't think I think the real problem is um the ehrs right or like what we use to combine everything i mean if you think about it like you know on our cell phones right most of i mean i have like over 100 apps um because i'm crazy like that but most people you know they have they they use your cell phone or their computer or you know their whatever and there's multiple apps on there we don't say that that's being fragmented in any way right because there's a there's a back-end system you know your operating system that You're able to log into and it can handle all of it. And it's kind of a seamless experience with our EHRs that doesn't exist. In my perfect world, we would have something like that, where you have a platform that can plug into anything with APIs. And then the whole fragmentation thing would be completely, a no. It it would be kind of stopped at that point because it would be kind of like you opening up your Mac or your Windows machine or your phone and it's just like opening up a application in there so that's my thought i think right now the fragmentation thing is more mainly because of the ehrs we use not necessarily um that we have so much so many things out there but that's just kind of my take i don't know what you think
1: oh I, I think it's totally right and i i do have a long-term vision on my comments uh like if we are really near term near term in our view of this industry uh we see that there are Commercial considerations uh, that that limit the amount of vendors that are integrated in EMRs. First of all, the costs to to, to be integrated. Uh, but some companies are working into democratizing these approaches. So we're talking about companies that build these APIs that you've touched on integrating data coming from uh, the, for example, you. I, not a lot of people know that, but it's more and more known. There's an app on the uh, iOS that is called Health. And there's an app on the Android phones, uh, or Samsung phones even, that is called Google Fit for Android and Samsung Health for Samsung. And these apps are capable of integrating different data from different apps, and then they're able to send them over towards uh, dashboards that are in the EMRs. So this is one way that you can you know do integrations that is really patient-centric. There are other stories as well uh, of apps that are directly in EMRs uh, that can prove value and that have proved value. So there are multiple ways. And I think that as this industry grows and as economics in that industry evolve and that there's more and more money in that industry and coverage and codes that allow physicians to track patients remotely, um, talking about CPT codes here, uh, there's going to be eventually a tipping point with which division will be more and more democratized.
0: I agree with you. I think that, yeah, it's just just a matter of time. And I love the idea of, there are, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to add to that. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think the more people that come into it and the more, that's why I don't really shy away from big tech coming in. I mean, I understand that there are issues with big tech trying to come into healthcare, but one thing that big tech can do is really... Throw their weight around and force things to happen just because of the amount of money they have. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm I am personally uh, encouraged by what's happening in the digital health world. I know some people are not, and there's you know they're like, oh, it's adding to burnout and stuff. But you know, it's like anything that's new, right? Initially, there's going to be some growing pains, but eventually, it's all going to smooth out. And I think in the long run, it's only going to be a net positive.
1: Yeah, as long as we always focus on, and as you mentioned, you know, uh, relevance and outcomes and ethical considerations as well, which is maybe a topic we haven't touched today as much. Uh, but you know, that coming into the conversation of big tech is really natural to, to transition towards to, uh, you know, we, we need to find ways to protect patients around, you know, data, uh, and data use and, and, you know, considerations around consent. Um, this is really important for me to say in that podcast because I feel like there are a lot of things that are there in healthcare for one particular reason. At the end of the day, it's to protect the public, right, and protect the patients. And I think this is something that doesn't help in accelerating the innovation but also protects patients. So I think it's always a question of how can we find that perfect balance between integrating technology but also not... You know, doing more arm, uh, and these are really tough questions. These are really, really, really tough questions to answer, and not a lot of people. And, and I, I, I'm speaking towards manufacturers that want to commercialize in healthcare right now and are seeing a long, long sales cycle for their solution to be adopted. And I'm thinking about then hey there's there's a long sales cycle you're right but it's it's for a reason also it's we can't just do innovation to do innovation i think
0: no um yeah i agree with you i think that's the big thing with big tech right is just that ethics thing because i think that's the one thing that they're having a really hard problem with is how do you monetize healthcare? and the way they monetize their businesses is by data right you it's an exchange that's what, one thing that people don't understand is like you know all these companies are providing you a free service. It's not really free. You're paying them with your data. And that's how they're able to give make it, quote unquote, monetarily free. But you're giving them all your data. They're they're taking that. And in some cases, they're giving it back to you in a sense that was helpful. But most of the times they're selling it off for advertising and so on and so forth. And that's what I think big tech is really, really struggling with, which, and I don't really have a good answer for that. I do think that my big thing has always been patients need to control their own healthcare data and patients need to have ownership of their data. And from the, so that's where I stand with that. But yeah, I mean, the ethical question, I mean, that's a debate that's going to, I think, continuously happen because you have people on one side saying, well, you know, how are we going to help you? We need to make a living. And, but to that, I say, you know, you have to be a little bit more, you have to think outside the box a little bit. I mean, you've made billions and billions of dollars thinking outside the box and now you're just stopping at thinking. When you get to healthcare, you're all of a sudden stop being innovative. I mean, to me, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Oh, I totally agree with what you say, Zane. I mean, you got to think, you got to have a vision, in my opinion, of, okay, it's not perfect. How can I play with the rules, right? What I mean by this is how can I make sure that I can embrace innovation in a way that's acceptable for me, but not necessarily stopping yourselves with, you know, uh, different... Different things that can be addressed in uh, in the future uh, like like we gave that example of that app that didn 't comply to Kn standards and that could uh, very in a very agile way adapt and change their their thing um, This was a very specific case in which their their technology uh, was was uh, was, was okay to do that. Sometimes it takes more than 48 40 hours, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but, but definitely, I think that a lot of the challenges will be fixed um, you know, over time and that I don't think it's something that should uh, you know, stop us from, from trying to promote these innovations to patients. I also I want to touch on um, something I think both of us are
0: really passionate about. And um, I'm going to say that you know, it's working at the top of our license Uh, You're a pharmacist. And as people know, I'm a pharmacist as well. And both of us are not quote unquote traditional pharmacists, right? We've kind of walked away from the dispensing part of it. And even in some cases, the clinical part of it too. Could you kind of describe your journey of leaving it and why you did what you did?
1: <laughs> nice nice topic zane uh, i really want to hear your story as well i'm really curious um yeah so so where to start um I- First thing is really someone. Uh it's not just me, it's it's the people I met in that journey. I know it sounds very like seer topical and, and but it's it really happened, okay? I met someone at my in my pharmacy degree which has changed my life. Uh he's a serial entrepreneur, but also he was the president of the Quebec's College of Pharmacists. Uh his name is Bertrand Baltic. He's actually our chairman right now and, and our first investor. Uh he has told me something that I will always uh, remember, um, which is that there is a need for a typical pharmacist uh, to rise uh, as we are in a very um, corporate and very regulated environment. It's really important for some people that have creativity to, to move forward and try to change things. And he's named some people that has done that. And during my pharmacy degree, I became uh, the president of my students council because of that. Uh, it kind of empowered me of, of implicating myself into the industry and trying to, to do more. And it has only led to meeting more and more typical pharmacists that were trying to change things and open my mind on, potential, uh, on a potential new role that I could have. I think also, um when I think about this, I think about the farm d being a very versatile degree uh it teaches you a little bit about business, mostly about scientific considerations so methodologies it It builds your capability of being very i mean organized uh as as its very intense uh, program, so this has also led me thinking that hey, the pharmacy degree can open you doors. Uh, it's not just working in a the pharmacy. There are so many jobs that you can access given your knowledge and comprehension of healthcare, but also patient needs. Why not leverage that and do something that can deliver more impact than beyond pharmacy? I'm not saying everybody should do that because we need pharmacists as they have a tremendous, important role to play in healthcare. But I think that's, you know, it's that creativity, that passion about learning, and that kind of unconventional also personality, which has led me towards trying to build new things, essentially. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that you
0: know, the more I kind—I mean, I can kind of touch on my journey a little bit, but. The more I speak to pharmacists, I mean, especially now with the pandemic, you know, everyone's burned out and stuff, but they all just feel like they're trapped and they're like, oh, this is all I can do. And I felt the same way as well. And it was not until like maybe a couple of months ago where I realized that my skills are transferable, (laughs) which sounds really dumb, but uh, it's, I, I agree with you. I think pharmacists can do a lot and we just, we are the ones that hold ourselves back from it. And I think a lot of that, at least in the American system has to do with our schooling, we're told to like, okay, you're either going to retail, you're either going to clinic, or you're going to. I mean, in some cases, your pharma is not even an option because they're like, oh, that's the that's the devil. But it's really just retail and clinic. Um, and you know, I do think that uh, you know people like yourself and I've met other pharmacists as well that helped me really reconsider like what I am capable of. So I mean, I thank you for that.
1: Well, don't thank me. Thank yourself. You took action, and and I think that it's really important that you say this. I think our culture needs to change. Um, We do have a culture challenge. Um, As we want to improve the pharmacist role, we need to make sure that more pharmacists are in atypical jobs, that more pharmacists are in payer systems, more pharmacists are in uh, the industry, so pharmaceutical companies, and not seeing it as devil more than as opportunities to make sure that we can promote the role of pharmacists, uh, which is sometimes overlooked, especially in the States. So I think that we need that kind of culture to shift towards, um, you know, more a mindset that's more a little entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial as well, which is a a mindset that I love, um, meaning building things among big corporations or or established entities. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I I think, uh, I think, Zane, that uh, I I just can say that let's change the world. Come on. Hey man, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, (laughs) I tell people that, you know, you know,
0: my thing is I like technology and I think that like to your point, you know, there's, we're not saying one is worse than the other. It's just the, for the people that feel stuck, you know, there is a way out and it's just a matter of being a little, right now you have to be a little, um, you kind of have to think outside the box a little bit, which, you know, we're not really good at sometimes it's because the way we're trained, we're trained to think inside the box, but you know there there is there's a lot of opportunity out there, and I completely agree with you. And I think that we hold ourselves back. And the one thing I I really do appreciate about the nursing profession is they did it, man. They did it. They got out, and they are everywhere. You see nursing in nursing pe peop- nurses everywhere in tech, and pharma, and all all the ev- you name the industry, they're there. And I think as pharmacy, we should take what nursing did, use that as a playbook, and just go and don't stop.
1: Hmm. Interesting, interesting. What, what's what's bringing nurses to more like like thinking about culture? What what's the what's the nurse culture that brings them towards innovation? I think. I mean, I don't know. I need to talk to more nursing nursing
0: staff. I think the thing is, if you look at nursing history, they pushed a lot. They were always like the nursing leadership was always united. A that's one thing pharmacy is, and especially in America, there's so many pharmacist groups. And B, they were forward thinking. They weren't like. You know, clutching to what they were doing, they were thinking forward like, "Hey, this is what we can do, and keep pushing the envelope and um I think I think also the different personalities, right you know, pharmacists, we're a little bit more reserved, we're in the back end, a lot of people don't know what we're doing, and that's just and that's the way we like it versus nursing staff is up front, they're the first people you call the patient, they're always interacting with the patient, they're always interacting with the doctors, they're really the central hub of patient care. Um, what, you know, so I think that from there, there's a lot of, you know, you see nursing a lot, right. It's usually the number one trusted profession. There's a lot, you know, everyone knows a nurse and everyone knows what nursing does. So I think that helps them quite a bit. I think so like for us, like, you know, as a roadmap pharmacy needs to really come out and say like, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And this is why we're important and really just kind of tell people what we do because a lot of people have no idea what we do. Even some pharmacists don't know what we do.
1: Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And and I'll bring from an entrepreneur as well. I'll bring the business mindset as well. I think our, our business model is flawed as well. Um, you know, there, there's got to be a way. And I really like what some pharmacy chains do around the integrations of other care in the delivery of care in pharmacy. I'm talking about... Uh, I don't want to name any brandings, but uh, what we sometimes refer to as health hubs and trying to bring the the coaching services, but also chronic care disease services. I think that we need a shift into the business model for our profession to really uh, uh, change. If that can help you, uh, there's a, as you mentioned, union. There's a business model in Quebec that works a lot. Um, First things first, uh, pharmacists are owners of their pharmacy at 100%. Then they pay royalties to a pharmacy chain. And they have a union that will, um, you know, uh, negotiate uh, rates for services and clinical services with the government directly as the government uh, covers uh, the people over 65 for drugs. And these deals will also translate back to private plans as well. So private plans need to cover pharmacy services as high as the government does. But then it brings a, an, an opportunity for pharmacists to have more revenues coming from cognitive and clinical services, which makes it more easy for uh, you know, our profession to change towards uh, A more central role or a complementary role towards the clinics and the nurses as well. So, and when it's relevant as well. So, thinking about, for example, services around adjusting dosage of medications when there are some side effects, uh, you know, liberally, so without having to call the physician, um, stopping drugs as well uh, when it's appropriate changing molecules. So for example, you go see your doctor, they prescribe that antibiotic, there's an allergy or any interaction, or that's not the right antibiotic for you, then the pharmacist can change it. So there are kind of these services that are coming in uh, since a few years that I think the pharmacists in the States could do as well. Uh, well, not I think, I'm 300% sure. So then it thinks about like who pays for that, right? So... How can we make sure that uh, the the services are are profitable in pharmacy?
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And that's the biggest problem with America. The American healthcare system right now is we don't get paid for our clinical services. Um, And I think some of that is we don't, again, I I think it's based on us. Like we're not providing the value or we're not showing people what the value is. And I think if we showed the value and we were more out there open about what what we can bring I don't think every doctor or you know every care team I've ever worked with understands the value of a pharmacist but the problem with that is they have had to work with you personally sh- shoulder to shoulder a lot of pharmacy jobs take us away from people in general let's be honest like you know uh so I think that we just need to be out there we just need to be we just need to be available not available but we just need to be working next to people and show them what we can do and and I think that you know, I've, I've worked places where uh, physicians were basically said, hey, we need a pharmacist on staff here all the time. And they pushed um, they pushed for us and they, they got our, they got it approved. It wasn't the pharmacy department that got the pharmacist approved for the shift. It was the physicians because they're like, hey, we need these people because they make our life easier. And we just need to take that and translate it through. But again, it was because they were working for us and we showed them value because we were physically there and we were doing the job.
1: Got it. Yeah, makes sense. And, and it's an amazing story. So then it takes an army of pharmacists that does that, right? Uh, uh, and just, you know, build more. So there there need to be more typically typical pharmacists. <laughs> so th- typical pharmacists, meaning that they're into their, their their proper fit, but that they embrace change and take more action. Is this what I understand from your comment? Yeah, I mean,
0: exactly. So I think, yeah, I mean, 100 percent no, that's, that's exactly it. And I think for me,
1: we need to make the atypical typical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not be too perfectionists. We are so perfectionists as a profession. I mean, we, everything's got to be perfect. We've learned, uh, we've learned to do everything perfectly, to, to fit in the right boxes and to, to deliver perfect care. Uh, I, I think that at the end of the day, we got to embrace that we are good. Agree, man. I am for you. Let's
0: start a coalition. Let's get pharmacists out and let's let's rule the world, man. Because I think pharmacists can do it. We can do. There's nothing we cannot do.
1: All right. So in a few years uh, after Terapix, I don't know when. Uh, maybe in in five, ten, or, or twenty five years. But yeah, let let's remember that conversation. Let's make it happen. I like it. I'm down, man.
0: I'm down. Um, I do want to. I, I know we're kind of against the clock here, but I do want to talk about. Um, Couple of things. Just a couple more things. Uh, you know, if you were if if you were advising advising a health tech startup right now, what are what are what are some, what is some advice that you would give them?
1: Okay. So first thing first, um, try and find uh, the the perfect classification for your tool. Meaning that go see advisors that understand the regulatory world and understand the healthcare to make sure that you. Um, understand what's your product value, what it has proven yet or what you're trying to prove to adapt your uh, evidence roadmap. So it's really, really important uh, for health app developers to bring evidence and supportive evidence to what they do. Um, Yes, in some cases, there's going to be some health systems, payer systems or healthcare organizations that can accept the fact that If you deliver an intervention that's validated in other settings, for example, let's talk about meditation. This is sometimes the example I give. Uh, You know, everybody agrees that meditation should be accessed and popularized. Uh, It leads to better care and better outcomes. But then at the end of the day, is your meditation app providing proper meditation engagement? Right? So sometimes some health system will say, okay, I'll accept Uh, And we deal with that complexity a lot. Like they say, I'll accept uh, meditation apps that do not have supportive evidence as long as they provide me utilization rates and utilization evidence, not necessarily evidence on their clinical efficacy. Um, it happens. It's, it's good. I mean, for the industry, I think some parallels can be made when there are supportive evidence for a specific intervention. But this is really a use case that is not applicable to 80% of health apps, meaning that you need to know what you want to do in terms of healthcare objectives, what you want to reach. I mean, do you want to be an over, overall general wellness product or you want to be an actual treatment? Do you want to diagnose solutions? you want to use AI? Um, and all of this needs to be aligned with a proper evidence strategy. So this is my first big, 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 big comment. Because there's going to be a lot of regulatory order, hurdles around that as well, which can bring competitive advantages at the end of the day. So let's say you raise sufficient capital, and you can reach FDA approval of your product as a medical device. So software as a medical device. For the ones that are not familiar with this industry, this means that you can either treat, diagnose, prevent, or manage a condition towards your uh, with your your solution, your software. And by software, I mean something that's in an app. So, whether it's app based or like on the iPhone or Android or web based, whatever, how you bring that software to market, there's going to be that question. And I think a lot of people don't, they, they think they do it, but they don't do it in a healthcare way. So, it brings them with a lot of uh, hurdles when they go to market. And they go see, you know, employer systems, health systems. And then they say, Hey, I'm sorry, but your app is not up to our standards. So this is really, really one very important piece of advice.
0: No, I think that's great advice. Um, it also will save you a lot of money if you, if you do that in the get-go.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also everything that's around security and privacy. Uh, you need, as a founder, it's your social responsibility. And it's in your... Ethical consideration to make sure that you build a product that's in line with the privacy and security uh, um, laws, but also standards up there. And it's it's not like 15 years ago when we didn't have these standards that are really well put out and really well organized. I mean, SOC to ISO 2701 certifications or others are kind of like really massively adopted by healthcare uh, in terms of certifications to reach to. So. Know these certifications and budgets that need to be considered um, in your uh, roadmap, depending on your stage, right? I'm thinking about really early stage companies here. I think that larger scale companies, the advice I'm giving them right now is is, is already considered, right? Uh, but early stage companies and startups uh, sometimes uh, lack that knowledge and it, it just leads them to bankruptcy sometimes. So it's really important for them to, to know the costs associated with that. For sure.
0: I want to end this podcast with one more question. And what is, it? you know, you, you started a startup um, and, you, you know, you're doing pretty well and congratulations on that. But uh, what advice would you have given yourself uh, that, you know, what you know now, what advice would you have given yourself when you started?
1: Oh, don't do too much of a pharmacist of you and don't try to read every guideline on everything and learn too much before moving on. And do what founders need to do and entrepreneurs need to do. Talk to your clients 60% of your time. Really, really something that has slowed me down and that I wouldn't have done, uh, I mean, or I wouldn't do again. Um, there's, There's nothing better than trying to understand the problem you're trying to fix, um, not your solution as much as the problem. And going very, very deep in your knowledge of your industry and your clients' needs will allow you to be a better entrepreneur and to build better products that are more in line with the needs, of course. And sometimes It's not as complex as you think it is. Like you think about that beautiful product with 10 different features. Maybe your client just needs one little features to be added and they'll pay more than the 10 features you've designed and over engineered because you've read that XYZ guideline, right? So what I mean by this is really talk to your clients. It will save you time, it will save you energy, it will be more client-centric in your entrepreneurial journey. Uh yeah, this is yeah, not not be too much behind the counter. Like
0: yeah, I love that uh, I think that's great advice, and it's very simple to the point um how do people get a hold of you? What do you mean out, if they want to reach out to you learn more about Therapex or just want to talk to you how what is the best way of them getting to <laughs> reaching you
1: <laughs> All right yeah sorry i didn't understand all of you um this is my French uh, native language speaking um so yeah they can contact me by linkedin mostly uh please uh please connect uh, i'll be happy to connect I, I like to go through that platform i feel like it's really a way for connecting um in a business sense, uh, they can reach out to me by email as well. So my email is mcardinal, uh, at so com, And it will be happy for me to, uh, and I'll be happy to, uh, to reach out to them as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate your time. Um, and it was a great conversation as always. Uh, and you know, I, I see you guys doing great things and it makes me so happy. And, um, I continue, I hope you guys, nothing but the best because you guys are doing something that is thoroughly needed in the space. So thank you again for your time. And, uh, yeah, man, thanks.
1: Well, thanks to you so much. Uh, the digital thoughts, podcast, uh, digital health thoughts. I hope it's going to be, uh, uh, a journey that you'll keep. I like the tone. I like the conversations. Keep it up. Thank,
0: thank you, man. I really appreciate that.